Welcome to Rapidly Rotating Records, an hour of toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s with yours truly, Glenn Robison. On Island Radio, KISL Avalon at 88.7 on your FM dial and at KISLAvalon.com on your internet dial. We've got dance bands, hot bands, sweet bands, show tunes, novelty tunes, blues, jazz, and more on everything from Aeolian to Xonophone and by everyone from Aronson to Zerky. On this week's show, we'll celebrate Leon Renee's birthday, we'll have some fanfare, hear some tunes about Rubus fruticosis, what? blackberries, express some emphatic affirmation, and play a set of songs about the world's oldest profession. About a mile down the street from my office is California's Mission San Juan Capistrano, established on November 1, 1776 by Franciscan missionary Junipero Serra. And what happens every year in mid-March in San Juan Capistrano? That's right. The cliff swallows, who had departed the previous October for their wintering grounds 6,000 miles away in Argentina, faithfully return albeit in nowhere near the numbers they used to, but that's a different subject. You're no doubt familiar with the song When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano, but you may not know that it was composed by Leon Theophilus René, born yesterday, February 6th, in 1902 in Covington, Louisiana, to Otis J. René and the former Lelia Bauman. Before moving to Los Angeles in 1924, becoming a songwriter and forming his own orchestra, he married Irma Janke and had son Raphael in 1927, followed four years later by daughter Cecilia. In 1931, Leon and his brother Otis, who was previously a pharmacist and moved to Los Angeles with Leon, composed When It's Sleepy Time Down South. It was sung in the William Wellman picture Safe in Hell by Nina Mae McKinney and became Louis Armstrong's signature tune. In the 1940s and 50s, René established several independent West Coast rhythm and blues record labels with his brother Otis and son Raphael, better known as Googie, in addition to a couple of music publishing companies. Leon wrote and produced some of the era's most popular hits, including Rockin' Robin. Leon René died May 30, 1982 in Los Angeles and is buried less than an hour from me in the Elsinore Valley Cemetery in Lake Elsinore, next to Irma, who passed away in 1998. Here are three from Leon René. When the swallows come back to Capistrano That's the day you promised to come back to me When you whispered farewell in Capistrano T'was the day the swallows flew out to the sea All the mission bells will ring The chapel choir will sing The happiness you'll bring Will live in my memory When the swallows 
must come back to Capistrano. That's the day I pray that you'll come back to me.
by the boasting roast on the deep dark continent. By the bugs and the flies and the monkey guys all sleep in warm content. There lives a money man. If you want to know just who he is, that guy is Mr. Me. I'm Mr. African, great big and gaggy man. With a jug on my hip and a smile on my lip, as big as a moving van. I'm Mr. African, from Red Red Hot Sedan. With a stove pipe hat and a rattlesnake's bat, I'll give you a big dark hand. When I get hot, get friendly me, the way I scorch the sun. When I get cold, I can't get cold, cause I'm an African. I'm Mr. African, got plenty gals on. And I take my gin from a tiger skin. I'm the wildest kind of man. He's the wildest kind of man. That big and gay man. think even Cab Calloway would be impressed with that performance. Leon René's orchestra from an unissued Victor Test pressing made in Hollywood on August 19, 1932 of I'm Mr. African, written by Leon René, Otis René, and Ben Ellison. The vocalist is shown as Banjo Buck, but I don't know who that is. On That's My Home, recorded in the same session, the vocalist is listed as Otis René. Before I'm Mr. African was Louis Armstrong's signature tune, but not by Louis Armstrong. That was Carol Gibbons and his boyfriends in London on New Year's Eve, 1931, and When It's Sleepy Time Down South, from British Columbia, DB 789. We started our tribute to Leon René with the premiere recording of When the Swallows Come Back to Capistrano by the Ink Spots, May 13, 1940. I'm Glenn Robison, and you and I are listening to Rapidly Rotating Records, bringing you vintage music to which you can't not tap your toes from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. Boysenberries were first produced by horticulturist Rudolf Boysen in the 1920s on his farm in Anaheim, California. They were first commercially grown in 1932 by farmer Walter Knott. Yep, of Knott's Berry Farm. 
Fun fact, in the early 1950s, my dad sold an aerial photograph he had taken of Knott's Berry Farm to Walter Knott himself. Another fun fact, the world's largest producer and exporter of boysenberries today is New Zealand. Delicious as they are, boysenberries are highly invasive and threaten agricultural and natural ecosystems. They're considered by the USDA to be a noxious weed. In Australia and New Zealand, boysenberries are listed as a weed with national significance and can only be grown by permit under highly controlled circumstances. A common trivia question is what three berries were hybridized by Rudolf Boysen to produce the boysenberry? The answer? Raspberry, Loganberry, and Blackberry. And who doesn't love blackberries? So here's a set of musical blackberries for you. You heard the three stripped gears last week, and coincidentally, here they are again.
Sylvester Lewis Osman, better known as Vess, with Four Little Blackberries, from Victor 16488, February 5, 1910. Four Little Blackberries was written by Lawrence B. O'Connor, and you'll be hearing more from him in June when his birthday rolls around. Blackberry Blossom is a traditional folk tune popular among both traditional Irish musicians and old-time bluegrass groups, and is included in over 250 tune books. We heard a popular recording by Fiddlin' Arthur Smith with the Delmore Brothers, Alton and Rabin, on guitar, recorded in New Orleans, Louisiana, on January 22, 1935, issued on Bluebird B5896, and also on the Australian Regal Xenophone label. And you're going to be hearing more from Fiddlin' Arthur Smith when his birthday rolls around in a few months. We started this Blackberry set with the three stripped gears, Cliff Vaughn and Marion Brown on guitar, and Ralph Durden on mandolin, and Blackberry Rag, recorded in Atlanta, Georgia on October 30, 1931, issued on OK45571. Blackberry Rag was written by Ralph Durden. a particular song or artist you'd like to hear on Rapidly Rotating Records? Well, you can send your requests and your comments about the show by email to glenn at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or send cards or letters to Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. That's glenn, G-L-E-N-N, at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com or Post Office Box 145, Claremont, California, 91711. Just about everyone is familiar with the tune Hail to the Chief, the personal anthem of the President of the United States. Its history goes back to Sir Walter Scott's 1810 poem, Lady of the Lake. The poem was a popular sensation, and around 1812, English violinist, composer, and theater orchestra conductor James Sanderson set some of the verses to a Scottish Gaelic melody, and it was published in Philadelphia. Hail to the Chief was first associated with the President in 1815, and in 1954 was declared by the Department of Defense to be the official presidential arrival music. Here's a portion of a June 15, 1915 Victor recording of Hail to the Chief by the Victor Male Quartet.
The Victor Male Quartet, Reynold Werenrath, baritone, Victor F. Hooley, bass, and tenors Harry McDonough and Lambert Murphy, singing the original Sir Walter Scott lyrics to Hail to the Chief. The orchestra was conducted by Walter B. Rogers. No offense to F. McElhare, but I excised his bagpipe solo at the beginning of the record, and frankly, I don't think too many people will object. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. New words to Hail to the Chief were published on July 4, 1865, to honor General George Meade for his victory at Gettysburg, but the current words to Hail to the Chief were written by Albert Gamsa, sometime in the first half of the 20th century. Should you wish to sing along the next time the song is played, they go, Hail to the Chief we have chosen for the nation. Hail to the Chief we salute him one and all. Hail to the Chief as we pledge cooperation in proud fulfillment of a great noble call. Yours is the aim to make this grand country grander. This you will do, that's our strong belief. Hail to the one we selected as commander. Hail to the president. Hail to the chief. There's at least one person who didn't care for the song, and that was one-term president Chester A. Arthur from 1881 to 1885. He directed John Philip Sousa, leader of the Marine Band, to compose a new presidential anthem, and here's what Sousa came up with.
Suza's band, directed by Arthur Pryor, since Suza himself rarely led the band on recordings, January 7, 1902, with Presidential Polonaise. Apparently, Sousa agreed with President Arthur and didn't care for Hail to the Chief either. He composed Presidential Polonaise for indoor events and Semper Fidelis for outdoor events and recorded it about a week before Presidential Polonaise. Everyone's familiar with Hail to the Chief, but did you know that there's also a ceremonial entrance march for the vice president? You do now, and here it is. Hail Columbia, the personal anthem of the vice president, performed by the Victor Military Band, October 20, 1913. The music was composed in 1789 by Philip Fila, 
a New York theater orchestra violinist for George Washington's inauguration, and titled The President's March. It became Hail Columbia in 1798 with the addition of lyrics by Joseph Hopkinson, a Philadelphia judge. Hail Columbia was considered one of the unofficial national anthems of the United States until 1931, when the Star-Spangled Banner became the country's official national anthem. I'm Glenn Robison, and the show is Rapidly Rotating Records. We're here each and every Sunday evening at 6 on Island Radio, FM 88.7, KISL Avalon, and KISLAvalon.com. This and all of our previous programs are available 24-7 on demand anytime at all online at RapidlyRotatingRecords.com. And we're on all the major podcast directories. Last week we had a segment dedicated to Margot St. James, one of the leading advocates of rights for sex workers. Well, here's another set of rapidly rotating records about the world's oldest profession. And once again, that email address is glenn with two n's at rapidlyrotatingrecords.com. brown skin brings me pocket change my Wednesday will of whiskey sometimes she do drink beer but my Thursday woman give me the devil if she catch me here my Friday Thank you. 
today. You come and get some, but you sure can't stay long. I got two men I had to be waiting on.
something good you've got to spend your day. I guarantee you will never want your money back. If I can't sell it, I'll keep sitting on it before I give it away. Oh, daddy, yes, before I give it away. Barrelhouse blues vocalist Georgia White declaring I'll keep sitting on it if I can't sell it. Ms. White was accompanied on that May 12, 1936 Decca recording made in Chicago by Richard M. Jones on piano, guitarist Ike Robinson, and John Lindsay on bass. I'll Keep Sittin' On It was written by Alex Hill and Andy Rizaf. Georgia White was born March 9, 1903, and you may be hearing more from her in a few weeks. Before Georgia White, the Queen of the Blues, Memphis Minnie, was selling her pork chops on October 31, 1935 in Chicago. That's from Bluebird B-6199. Memphis Minnie was born Lizzie Douglas on June 3, 1887, and you'll probably be hearing more from her in a few months. Blues singer and guitarist Jim Jackson was also born in June, a few years earlier than Minnie in 1876, and he started the set with his composition, My Monday Woman Blues. Jackson recorded it several times, but this was his January 30, 1928 recording made in the Memphis Auditorium, accompanying himself on guitar. My Monday Woman Blues was based on the 1900 song I've Got a Gal for Every Day in the Week, with lyrics by the Irish-American Pat Rooney and music by the German-American Harry Von Tilzer, and Jackson was not the only one to record it. This is KISL-FM 88.7 Avalon, and you're listening to Glenn Robison's Rapidly Rotating Records, toe-tapping music from rapidly rotating 78 RPM records of the 1920s and 30s. Last week I played Yes Sir, Boss, and Yes Sir, this week we've got some more Yes Sir songs. Does my baby call me honey, yes sir? Does she help me save my money? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When she rolls them big black eyes, breathes those heavy sighs, does it make goose pimples rise? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yo, sir, yo, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. When the play here comes a bride, yeah. we walk down side by side. Will I be puffed out with pride? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Sally Pringle, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Did she vow that she was single, yes, sir? Yes, sir. When that man walked in the flat and he hollered out, Who is that? Did I leave without my hat, yes, sir? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. 
Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Is my razor just for shaving? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Didn't I take my gal's advice? Did I cut out gin and dice? And wasn't that some sacrifice? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Come home fairly ticking, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Or did I do some sweet bone picking, yes, sir. Yes, sir. When my neighbor counts his flock, boy, will he get a shock and will he miss those Plymouth rocks? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. No,
to tell you how much I like that record. Ace Brigode and his 14 Virginians with the quintessential 20s tune, Yes Sir, That's My Baby. Walter Donaldson wrote the music and Gus Kahn the words. The group got together on April 30, 1925 and gave it a try, but gave up after three takes. They took a break and came back on June 2nd for two more takes, both of which were issued on Columbia 398. Frank Skinner, pianist in the band, also wrote that arrangement. The pseudonym Dixie Daisies was used on dozens of records by Sam Lennon, Bob Herring, Adrian Schubert, and others on dime store and budget labels, such as Perfect, Banner, Regal, and so on. Before Ace Brigode, we heard the Dixie Daisies with Yes Sir, That's Lazy Bones. That's from a late November 1922 session, probably organized by Arthur Lang or Bob Herring, resulting in that recording issued on Cameo 299. Yes, Sir, That's Lazy Bones was written by Henry Lang, who was unrelated to Arthur Lang. We started the set with Milton Brown and his brownies with Yes, Sir. That was recorded in New Orleans, Louisiana on Wednesday, March 4, 1936, in a very productive session resulting in a staggering 22 issued sides. Even more remarkable, the day before they recorded 16 sides, and the day after, another 11. That was Milton Brown's last session. He died a few weeks later on April 18, 1936. I'm Glenn Robison, and I'm very pleased that you've chosen to spend this past hour with me listening to Rapidly Rotating Records. If you had half as much fun as I did, then I had twice as much fun as you. I hope you'll click in or tune in again next week, and as always, I thank you for your very kind attention.